Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy boots. The Bureau of Meteorology has been warning us of unusually warm temperatures and lower than average rainfall this spring. And the higher temperatures have already begun. So it's definitely looking like we're going to have a rather warm spring and hot summer to follow. But rather than panic about how our gardens are going to cope, there is plenty that can be done now to help them withstand periods of extremely hot sun and little or no rain. Keith, what is the first thing we need to do? Well, the first thing we need to do is make sure that we've got um, some form of um, being able to provide moisture to the soils and to keep that that moisture level up so if you haven't got a, an irrigation system in i'd be but be one i'd be thinking about and there's lots of alternatives to that there is um the drip line irrigation that's got um emitters every 300 mil and if you put those in each line about 600 mil apart you've got plenty of coverage mm-hmm. okay but then you've got micro sprinklers you can use yep. or pop-ups but okay. have a good think about putting in uh, um, an irrigation system. A good system. Okay. I was also going to start with, I know the water is very, very important, but improving the soil. So making sure a health, we've got a healthy soil with the addition of lots of organic matter. That's going to allow for greater water penetration, mm-hmm. water holding comp- capacity, and also benefit the soil structure. Absolutely. So if the soil's good, it will cope. The plants will cope a lot better than if, if not. Mm-hmm. Compost. Composting. Compost, yep, key. Yep. Organic fertilisers are great. Um, mulching mulching is terrific um, I always recommend that when you're preparing a new garden bed and it's on every one of my plans the specifications that the preparation is adding things like biochar and I always specify that you use that at two kilos per square meter mm-hmm. but if you've got an existing garden where you can't you know with with roots and everything else then you can drill holes into the ground there's lots of uh, drill attachments now that mm-hmm. like a, a normal drill you mm-hmm. can drill drill into the ground and then you can stuff biochar down into that soil mm-hmm. and the beauty about this is that the biochar will hold the soil's capacity for moisture by 30%, it'll increase it by 30%. Okay, it'll also lock in nutrients, liquid nutrients, into the into the biochar that allows the plant to access those where it's required. Okay. Okay. Mulching. I was going to say about the mulch. So a, a layer of coarse mulch, how thick does that mulch need to be to allow the water to penetrate? Is there a, is there a bit of a recipe yeah, for I, that? Yeah, I, I, I always specify 70 to 75 mil. Right. So nearly three inches, three inches of, of in the old scale of, of mulch. Okay. <clears throat> so that will help reduce the water loss, and it's by shading the soil that it also keeps soil temperatures down yep. and protects those surface roots as well. And of course, keeping the weeds at bay, which we always like to see. Um, any pruning done here earlier can also be used, I suppose, to, to as a mulch as well. So you were just talking about that when we talked when we had our fruit tree mm. podcast about how you mulch everything up and you know, yeah, put it around your... I, I, well, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have invested in a, in, in a large mulcher with a big motor and big blades and mm. so forth. Mm. So every single part of, of, of prunings, um, clippings, um, stalks from broccoli or cauliflowers, they're all put through the mulcher. Mm. Okay. If we don't have a mulcher, then which mulchers <laughs> would you suggest we go and um, we choose? 
Oh, there are so many options. So many. Look, <laughs> the, the, look and, and the last one, the last place you'd go to have a look for a mulcher would be Bunnings or one of the big green warehouses. Not a mulcher. Mulch. What mulch, sort of mulch? What sort of mulch? What sort of mulch? Um, you, you, well, you, you want something that doesn't have a lot of fines. Now, I've... I've, I've doesn't have a lot of what's... What are called fines. So fines. they're fine particles. Okay, thank you. So we have a, a local tip that has all the vegetative material go through a big machine there and you and the, it goes through a couple of times. So there's an enormous amount of fines of organic material that are, is, is in that compost. And what happens when you apply that particular mulch to your soil is that as the water washes through, it washes the fines down deeper into the, into the soil profile to where the, the soil is. And then what can happen then is that those organic particles can dry out and therefore what happens when the water passes or comes down and hits that it's just shed sideways mm. the soil that the the actual mulch becomes hydrophobic right so you, if you're going to put a a, a, um, a mulch a, an organic mulch down go for something with a big particle size okay so you know the smallest particle size that i'll ever specify on any of my jobs is is between 10 and say 10 10 mil would be the minimum Okay. Um, because it still allows that, that percolation of water to go through quickly and get down to where, the, where it's required. Okay. And granitic sand is something that... Uh... Granitic sand, I specify on most of my jobs, yeah. but the only times that... that um, well, the reason I do that is because all the preparation is in the soil. So we're doing a new build. We've put in, we've put in compost right. at, at, a, at, a, at a physical cover of, of 50 mil. Mm -hmm. We've put the biochar at two litres per square metre. We've put rock dust over that. And then the whole lot is mixed into, the, into that 200 mil profile of soil with a rotary hoe. And then over the top of that goes the granitic sand. And that's put over between 50 and 70 mil. And that is it forever. That mm. soil will never need to be replenished or the mulch will never be need to be replaced. That's Granitic sand, um, the, the one I use, is a decomposed granite, right. so it, it lasts forever. That's pretty amazing. I think that sounds like a good option. Okay, now soil wetting agents are mentioned often at these times mm -hmm. of the year. What do you think about these? We don't really seem to talk about them very often. Are they useful? Um, they are, but a lot of them you need to keep on reapplying. Um, years ago, I was involved with a company that, that produced probably the best wetting agent known to man. Um, it, was, it was called RiverSafe, and it, it was a mineral-based form, and you can't get it anymore. It's a real shame. Oh. Um, and then, of course, one of the best products after that was a product made by Debco, who are no longer around. They've been bought out by Scotts, um, and they had a, had, they had a, great, um, a great product you know, that, that they use, but and it's called Saturate. Yeah. I don't know whether you can get Saturate anymore. And if you can, it's been manipulated by the accountants within the business, so they've cut back on the amount of wetting agent that was actually put into the, the product, so it's nowhere near as good as it used to be. It's meant to be all about being a wetting agent, well, so that yeah, seems a bit it strange. Is, but, but, you know, it'll, it'll wet just enough. So okay. you've got to keep on continually using these. Okay. There is another good product, though, and, it's, and that's made by Seasol, um, Seasol has been bought out by someone else now, so they're no longer the, the little little uh, Tasmanian company. But Seasol have a liquid wetting agent that has got the, lots of good organic components mm. in it, and I found that was a very effective one, mm. you know, for applying to to to, to dry soils okay. to allow that water to get through. 
fabulous. And uh, pot plants, we, you know, many of us have a lot of those, especially those, uh, the plants that are in terracotta pots, they can be vulnerable to overheating. So they need to be mulched and positioned away from the hot sun mm-hmm. on those hot summer days. Important to stand them in saucers filled with sand or keep the sand at, well, to keep the sand moist or to stand them on pebbles with some water in the saucer as well, because so then that'll be a little bit of a wicking system. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> And that's going to ensure that the roots stay cool and the plants remain healthy. If potted plants dry out to the point where re-wetting is hard, then they need to be soaked in a bucket of water for half an hour. And the, then and the best way to do that is that when you put them in the bucket, yes. just have a look at the bubbles. Make sure the bubbles. And make sure that you wait until so, those bubbles have stopped. Yes, yes. Um, pot plants require more frequent watering than those obviously planted in the ground, yeah. don't they? Yeah, yes. they do. Because they, they're in a very open potting medium and the yeah. water just goes straight through. Yeah. Fertilising. Should this continue as usual through hot periods or should it not? I suppose it depends on the plant. It does depend on the plant. Um, yeah. and if, but if you're using an or, a good organic fertiliser, then you, you know, you're not really going to be overdoing things regardless of whether it's hot or dry. Um, so as long as it's organic. But if you've, you've got any concerns, the best thing you can do is actually, is actually give a, a dressing of compost as a mulch yeah. over the top, okay. which will just work its way down to the soil and be used where it's required. Good idea. <laughs> shade. Now, areas of the garden that are in the shade for the hotter parts of the day won't dry out, obviously, as much as areas that are more exposed. This... Obviously, this area can mm. be taken advantage of when planting during the cooler months. You're planting during the cooler mm-hmm. months, not in the hot, dry time, yeah. nope. um, to keep the less drought-tolerant plants in these areas. So, yep. in your garden, yes. What are your uh, What are your shady? You've got, you haven't got much shade, really, well, do you? Well, got we that have, arid- under, underneath a lot of the fruit trees, for instance, there's there's a, a lot of dry shade. I guess you want to call that. So, therefore, I planted dry shade-tolerant plants. So things like As euphorbias yep. will tolerate both the dryness and the shade okay. and give a great show. You know, they're, they're a great little plant. They are divine. Um, yeah, so, so you, you, you need to do a little bit of research and just check out those plants that will tolerate that dry, shady condition because you don't want a plant underneath there that's going to be drawing enormous amounts of moisture out of the soil all the time. And I'm talking about things like gardenias. Mm-hmm. Now, they're, they're a thirsty plant. They're a hungry plant. Mm. And you really don't want... Um, you know, unless then you can competing. control that, that environment, you don't want those plants in those sorts of situations. Yep, yep, yep. Now, any young plants, if you've you know, planted in at the end of winter or beginning of spring and then this, we get this hot weather coming, it's important to shelter them, shelter the vulnerable plants with shade cloth, yeah. um, old net curtains, leafy branches, whatever yep. you've got for a week or two, and that will help them to establish still, you know, give them a chance to establish without too much harm. I can much remember harm. going past your old place and you used to have lots of the shade yes. cloth over the top oh. of your hydrangeas. Oh, <laughs> because those hydrangeas were so, they were like 50 to 60 years old yeah. and we'd had plants like trees behind them at mm. some stage which were removed, I can't remember why, so then they were out in the sun. I know. And they were damaged so easily, and the shade cloth even burnt them as well. Great. So, and you can also use um, you know, vegetable netting. That's also a you know, mm. a, because the vegetable netting now has to be two mil micron size, and that's basically a form of um, you know of a, a shade, shade cloth, cloth too. Yep, oh. good. Uh, vegetables now. What signs of heat stress should we look out for with the vegetables? Well, what you're looking at at all vegetables is the wilting of the leaves. Yeah. And that and that applies to everything. Everything. Mm. Um, and what what's actually happening there is is we have um, what is called transpiration, 
and that is like us perspiring. Mm. And if we were out in the sun just perspiring all the time, we're not going to live for long no. if we haven't got access to water. And the plants are exactly the same. So when you see a, see a plant where the leaves are, are starting to collapse, that is through transpiration, and, and that means that there is not enough moisture in that soil mm. for that plant to suck back up to compensate for that loss of, of, of moisture mm. through the heat mm. and the wind. So you, that is a dead giveaway that your your garden is not getting enough Suffering. moisture where the roots are. Yep, yep. Transpiration. Okay. Uh, pests. They can be a problem, Keith. Are there any specific pests we should be more aware of during the heat? Um, the, mainly whiteflies is one of the, okay. the more nasty little fellas. So you, you, you want to be keeping, out, keeping your eye out for whiteflies. Mm-hmm. That's a, a nasty. And they breed so quickly mm. and they'll just suck the living daylights out of just about any plant, you know, very, very quickly. So we keep our eyes open for them or what, what do we do to protect our plants from the whitefly? Um, well, I have a hedge that goes all the way around my Vegetable lawn garden. and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and it, but in the lawn are the raised veggie beds mm. and of course during the summer months we have those beds full of tomatoes mm. and the white fly just love breeding in the hedge and then coming across and attacking the tomatoes and it doesn't matter whether you've got a two mil micron net over your tomatoes they'll still get in the little mongrels so what i do is is i do what is called a curative measure and that is i have all the time a five liter bottle spray bottle filled up with a diluted form of econeem. And I go out there every week and I spray the hedges, top, sides, bottoms, and I do it on a weekly basis. And that econeem is absorbed by the leaves and becomes somewhat systemic. So when the, the, the little white fly comes back and tries to suck the leaves, it kills them. Right. So yes. you've got to do something curative like that. Mm-hmm. And econeem is 100% certified organic. It cannot yep. harm you one little bit. Yep, fantastic. Now, planting, should this be completely avoided until the weather, call, weather cools down? No, it shouldn't. You can plant whenever you like, but you've just got to remember that you've got to be providing the moisture that that plant will otherwise get. And if a lot of, in, in years ago, I used to see people would go out to a nursery and they'd come back and they'd pull the, the, the plant out of the pot and they'd tease the roots before they put it in the ground. Well, that is the worst thing you can possibly do because it is on the ends of all the roots that are the drinking and feeding root hairs. Mm. So by teasing the roots off, you've taken off all that mm. ability for those plants to take up moisture and food. So that's the last thing you do. And if you pick up a pot and you can't squeeze and, and get a bit of movement in, put it back down and go somewhere else because that pot will be pot-bound yeah. you don't want it in your yeah. garden. Yeah. You want to be able to pick up a pot, squeeze it, and you can plant that plant just about any time of the year. Okay. But you need, at time of planting, that plant needs 10 litres of water, whether it's a 6-inch pot or the 140-mil pot or a 250-mil pot, 10 litres of water at time of planting, not the next day or when it next, might next rain. You've got to wash, put the, the moisture down into the soil to dispel the air that would be around those roots so that the, it's got good contact with and the that soil. Can and be, that should be done every single time. Yep. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. That's exactly okay. right. All right. What else? What have you, else have you got for right. us? Right. Well, one of the, the what, once again, with my specifications, and, and I do this at my own property with any new plants that go in, I use a product called Myco Gold, which is a fungal spore. Um, and you can buy this from a company called Biostim. They're in Queensland, and this is this is one of their big products that they they actually produce. Um, 
and this fungal spore has a symbiotic relationship with the plant. So you can either, when you dig a hole, you get a teaspoon of this and just sprinkle it in the, in the bottom of the hole and then you put the, the pot in and then cover it back and then water the plant in. Or if you've got an established garden, you can you can apply this powder, mycogold is a powder, so it's a dried fungal spores. You get a, a watering can, tip in a, a teaspoon or five grams, whatever, of, of the mycogold into the into the watering can, stir it in a little bit, and then you go around and just water around all your plants. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that those spores will wash down through the soil profile and they'll attach themselves to the roots of the plants. And what will happen then is that they will grow a root system for the plant. Mm. So they'll increase. They can increase the plant's root system by a thousand percent. Wow! And they can deep mine down where there is moisture and food and everything else deep down in the soils. So do you do this? I do like this with every single annual... time I put a new plant in. Okay, but not, it... not necessarily with vegetables. Because there's not many fungal spores that will work with broccoli, for instance. They propel, you know, they have a, a toxin they put out which says, "Leave me alone." I'm, okay, I'm all by myself. <laughs> but do you put it? Do you use it on your fruit trees? Yes. So you, on your established garden, you actually go around and water yep. everything with a watering can. How often? I, you only need to do it once. A once, uh, full it's stop. A, once. It's a once, once in a lifetime job. Oh gosh, job I was going to say it's an annual. No, thing. No, 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 because it, this this will just keep oh, on happening. Oh wow! Um, you know, you, you can you can basically make your plants drought tolerant by using the Myco Gold. It that is, is a, it's amazing incredible. product. It's, yeah, it's an incredible product. Oh, and once that. again, I specify that with all my jobs because yeah. I want my jobs to be you know setting themselves up for success. Oh my goodness! Okay, mm. all right. Now, when planning a garden. Group, it's important to group plants together, isn't it? Because yes. plants with similar water requirements should be grouped together as yep. well as being better for the plants. Mm-hmm. Um, it can help to save water by ensuring that each grouping gets only the water that is needed. So exactly. that's something, but you would have done that, uh, you know, at a, probably you, another time. You research all it's that. It's about planning your garden so that they get the, the plants and the garden can cope with these hot yeah. periods. Um, what about a few examples of some drought-tolerant plants? I've got a few things here that I might yeah, have a list. Look, there's lots. There's lots of drought-tolerant plants. Um, anything in the Mediterranean range. Yep. The, like, so we've got things like Achilles, yep. which will give you a beautiful show. You've got salvias, mm-hmm. which are fantastic. Then you've got lots of ground covers. And the, and the ground covers can actually become a mulch themselves. Mm. Um, so something like uh, our favourite, uh, or my favourite, which is Casuarina glauca cousinit, Oh, yes. It's a fabulous ground cover that will become a, a, its own mulch, mm-hmm. so it'll hold the moisture down. Uh, Myoporum parvifolium, which is the cre- creeping boobiella. Mm-hmm. Uh, grevilleas, there's lots of uh, pros- you know the prostate grevilleas that will yep. act as a mulch as well. Yep. So there's a few of mine. What do you got? I've got lamb's ears. Yes, beautiful. I've got uh, Santolina, mm-hmm. Senecio silver dust. Yes. Am I saying that properly, Senecio? Yes. Uh, there, well, there are, as you say, there are lots. There, oh, the succulents, mm. um, stringier is good. Kangaroo paw, flowering plants, lavender. Yeah. Or the salvias, I think you mentioned. So there yeah, are plenty anything of, in the Mediterranean range yeah. is just fantastic. Herbs, all, a lot, you know, rosemary, sage, thyme, oregano, all of those are, yep. are, are really And, of course, great. ornamental grasses. Yes. Oh, that's my garden. I, you think you just designed <laughs> my garden for me. Um, now, planting a tree during the cooler months again will obviously act as a, like a tree acts as an umbrella or shade yeah. cloth or a sail almost um, over anything below. So that's always, you know, that's a good way for... Uh, younger plants to cope as well. Exactly. To be planted as long as it's not a eucalypt. 
No, not that's right. We All can't right. have a eucalypt. Not a <laughs> now, what about the lawn, Keith? Lawn, yeah, okay. So the, the, regardless of what type of lawn you've got, in the middle of summer, unless you've got an irrigation system, keep your mower high. Now, I've got rabbity, horrible old kikuyu in my backyard, which is a you know, really invasive weedy grass, but I um, keep my mower incredibly high. I fertilise in spring. With? With, I use just rooster booster, yep. so just an organic form, uh, and keep the mower high because the higher the, the grass, the more protection there is over the root system in the ground itself and the more ability of that moisture to be trapped within that root system and not dry out. And helps suppress the weed. Yeah. The longer the turf, the, exactly. the, the less weeds you can have. Um, and put your, put your clippings on your compost? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because that's good for the compost? Yep. Okay, last of all. Mm. Make sure to look after you. <laughs> Always wear sunblock, sunglasses and a broad-brimmed hat. Exactly. Drink loads of water. Complete the energetic work in the cool of the day, either before 10am or after 4pm if you mm -hmm. can. Save light jobs such as weeding or propagating to complete in the comfort of a shady spot and then jump into the swimming pool if you've got one. If you've got one. Blow up. I've got my blow up one. I'm going to use that one. There's always a bath or a spa or whatever you have to keep you help keep you cool through the hot summer months. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.